Thank you. The 1992 novel, also a 1996 film, The English Patient, is set in Egypt during the Second World War. Catherine is often alone as her husband travels down into the Egyptian desert and finds a magnificent cave. One of Catherine's husband's colleagues is the impossibly exotic Hungarian Count Laszlo. She tends to find Count Laszlo rather more accommodating company than her husband, and they fall into a passionate affair. Catherine's husband discovers the affair and decides on a murderous revenge. So while Count Laszlo is working in this cave, hundreds of miles south of Cairo, he puts his wife into a plane and flies with her down to the cave. He spots Count Laszlo coming out to meet them, eager to see Catherine, of course, and he points the plane directly at Laszlo, intending to kill him as the plane lands. But the plot fails drastically because what happens is that when the plane crash lands, it's Catherine's husband that dies and Catherine herself is badly injured. So Count Laszlo carries the stricken Catherine into this magnificent cave. And then Catherine and Laszlo face uh, an awesome decision. What is Laszlo going to do? Is he going to walk to Cairo, several days' journey, to find help? Or is he going to stay with Catherine for the few days until her inevitable death. What is he going to do? I want you to think of this predicament as the defining question of our time, possibly the defining question of your life. We live in a world where we use the word fix all the time and where we believe in solutions. What do we do about a predicament like this where there is no clear solution. I want to step back from that question to ask you one of the biggest questions of all. What is the great problem of human existence? I want to give you two possible answers to that question. I'm going to explore the first one. The first one which is the answer our society usually comes to, is that the great problem of our human existence is mortality and, to a lesser extent, limitation. We create all kinds of gadgets, we make all kinds of breakthroughs, because we really believe that our fundamental human problem is that we're going to die, and that all ancillary problems to that problem are problems of our limitation. When I speak of limitation, I think of disability, not just of death, but of disability, perhaps poor weather, 
all the kind of constraints that we get frustrated with, whether we're one given to road rage or whether we shout at people down the telephone who say, uh, we value your call and we, we, we're sorry to keep you waiting. These are all anger, forms of anger about limitation. Think about the Paralympics, which came to London in 2012 and again in Rio, 2016. The Paralympics have actually changed our notion of sport because sport used to be about excellence and teamwork and adventure. But now, if you see it through the lens of the Paralympics, sport becomes fundamentally about the overcoming of limitation. And the same is true of technological breakthrough. We used to advertise our products by saying, making lead pencils the same way for 150 years. Nobody uses that kind of advertising these days. Today, people say, making the impossible possible, connecting you with people the other side of the world. That's what we most value about our inventions. And so in other words, the whole of our lives as a culture are based on the assumption that our fundamental problem is limitation uh, in general and mortality in particular. But I want to suggest to you that actually that's incorrect. I want to suggest to you that our fundamental human problem is not limitation, it's isolation. What do I mean by that? Let me ask another fundamental question. Why as Christians do we want people to be saved? Well, we might instantly say because we don't want them to go to hell or oblivion or whatever the word for downstairs happens to be by the latest theological report. We don't want them to go downstairs. But what does upstairs then look like? What's the opposite of going downstairs? Is it not dying, living on, alone, forever? Is that really what upstairs looks like? I think that's more of a definition of hell than of heaven. What's missing from it? Well, what's missing from it is the word with. Heaven is the state of being with God, with one another, and with the creation forever. What all those things have in common is the word with. In other words, heaven is the overcoming of our isolation from God. That's what salvation means. Our overcoming from our isolation from one another. That's what the kingdom means. Our overcoming of isolation from the creation. That's what the ecological movement is all about. And perhaps also our overcoming of isolation from ourselves. Isolation is the fundamental human problem, not mortality. And here's the crucial point. Our efforts to overcome mortality, our increase in technology, our constant investment in the new and the transformative often end up increasing isolation. How many people could, can be on a blog site chatting away to somebody in Australia and not know the name of the person that lives next door? It's almost like the increase of our technology, the increase of our obsession with overcoming limitation actually hinders our ability to address the real problem, which is isolation. 
what I'm saying is that we've all become Laszlo. We're all walking to Cairo to find a solution. We're all neglecting what our true calling is, which is to be with Catherine in the days before she dies. Now, let me explore this same issue in a different way. I want you to think about, do you remember, how many people saw play school as children? That's pretty much everybody. Well, in play school, there was a square window. Do you remember the square window? So think about an old-fashioned square window. I want you to think about four kinds of social engagement. I work with homeless people all the time, so I'm going to think, first of all, about homeless people. But I also want to make the analogy to the situation of Laszlo and, and Catherine. The first is what I call working for. Working for is where we build up all our skills and energies. We go to college, we get a master's, uh, and we become really good at doing something for people. That's the way the middle, class, middle classes work. We become really good at something, and if we become high-powered at it, we get a secretary who meets the people before they ever get to meet us. That's how you know you've really succeeded. And there's a second way, and that's what's called working with. We might call that the second pane in the window. Working with is more like community organizing. It's not about one person's expertise. It's about gathering a whole group of stakeholders around the table. So working for a homeless person is reckoning that homelessness is a major problem and setting up an organization and, and setting up a night shelter and, and cooking lots of food and those sorts of things. Working with is getting all the stakeholders around the table, the local council, the local business community, and the homeless person themselves. Uh, that's a slightly different model. There's a third model, which is called being with. Being with isn't about solutions. Being with is simply sitting next to the homeless person, perhaps buying them a cup of coffee, talking about whether Gareth Southgate is really up to the England job, uh, and, and all the kind of gossip of the Premier League and, and what's going on about Brexit and who do you think that Trump man is and so on. That's being with. In other words, you're not seeing the homeless person as a homeless person. You're seeing them as a human being who's got interesting conversation and insights to give to you. And then the final pain in the, the play school play, four square window is being for. Being for is where you go on your blog site and denounce people who use the wrong language about homeless people. They should, uh, you should never use a phrase like the homeless because it depersonalizes people and they go on a rant about this kind of thing. Uh, but, but, but what I want you to, to notice is that the difference isn't so much between working and being. The difference is more between the word for and the word with. Working for assumes that you have the answers and the other person is simply a basket case. They've got nothing to offer you. All they should do is get better at receiving what you've got to give them. Being for also is, is more or less all going on in your head. You never actually get to meet a homeless person. You just talk about them on your blog site. Working with is a whole lot better. It takes different skills and interests seriously. It breaks down that sense of isolation. But being with is actually the only one that doesn't see things fundamentally in terms of a, of a problem that needs to be fixed, of a solution that only you can bring. We've got a major politician in the world right now who thinks he's the only person that can fix things. And part of that problem is narcissism, but the other part of the problem is that, that all, all problems are there simply waiting for someone to fix. It's a very working for mindset. Being with simply appreciates the other person for what they are. The only time we really are able to be with one another usually is on their birthday, because that's the only time of the year when we appreciate them simply for what they are and not for what 
you know, what achievements they've made in the world, what's on their CV. So I want you to think about those four different kinds of social engagement. If we take it back to the story of Laszlo and Catherine, Laszlo takes it for granted that his job is to work for Catherine. He takes it for granted that his job is to walk to Cairo. He doesn't even pause and think about it. He's off in no time. Working with would be a different model. Of course, there are, it's not exactly a hospital ward, and there's not a great deal of facilities in that cave to help Catherine. But working with is still staying in the cave with her, and working with is recognizing that she may have some understanding of what's best for her well-being in her last days, not just him. Being four would be wandering off into the desert and writing a poem about Catherine and saying, saying meaningful things, but actually, you know, basically moving on, I guess you could say, saying, I'll always remember you and I've got this little piece of rock that I picked up in the cave that I'll always treasure and think about you. Being with is the hardest one. Being with is simply sitting beside Catherine as her last hours are spent. Now, I want to change the story to a story you know very much better and to explain why I'm so convinced that being with is what we're called uh, to be as Christians. I want to tell you about a man called Jesus. Jesus spent, if you think about it, a week in Jerusalem working for us. If you take traditional theological categories, achieving our salvation, laying down his life for our sins, rising for our anticipated glory. Jesus spent three years in Galilee as a kind of community organizer, working with us, building a social movement, empowering disciples, modeling the kingdom. Three years of working with. That's three years and a week we've accounted for now. What about the other 30 years? Jesus spent the other 30 years being with us in Nazareth. As the Americans say, do the math. Do the math. Think about it. Jesus spent 90% of his time on earth being with us. Where do we spend 90% of our time when we face the kind of plight that humanity was in from God's point of view? Do we do that? I think we spend 90% of our time trying to come up with better working for solutions. So what we're doing by coming up with better working for solutions is basically saying that God did not know how to do an incarnation. God had no idea how to do a proper incarnation and God should have come to our mission committee because we know how to do incarnation and we know how to prioritize uh, and how to budget uh, and how to organize ourselves. God had no idea how to do the incarnation and got the percentages all wrong. Are we prepared to say that? Or are we prepared to take a good dose of humility and say, maybe God got the incarnation right. Maybe those percentages are important. Maybe we should be spending 90% of our time being with people in situations of adversity, just like Jesus. And, and think about it, even 
even at the most working for moment of them all on the cross, what is really going on? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of dereliction. What's going on there? Jesus is faced with the greatest choice there has ever been at the central moment in history. Jesus has the choice between being with the Father or being with us. That's what that cry of dereliction is all about, the agonizing choice of whether to be with the Father and maintain the, the threesome of the Trinity or whether to be with us to the bitter end. And what does he choose? He chooses to be with us. That is the decision on which our whole destiny depends. It's a decision to be with. And meanwhile, the Father has to choose whether to insist that the Son is with the Father or allow, to allow the Son to be with us. And the Father, of course, allows the Son to be with us. Together, those make up the fundamental decision on which our salvation rests, and they're both decisions about being with. So I want to bring you back, in conclusion, to the story of Laszlo and Catherine. What does Laszlo do? Well, he does. He goes to Cairo. And when he comes back, Catherine is very, very, very dead. It's, it's desperately sad that this woman, he's given everything for, he's given up his reputation, he's had this passionate affair with her, but when she really needs him, he's not there, he's in Cairo. Why does he go to Cairo? I think he goes to Cairo because he can't bear to watch Catherine die. He can't give up his working for assumption that he can fix this, which means he isn't with her at the very end. And the irony of the book is that when he does finally get back and he does find a plane to take her body back to Cairo, that plane crash lands so badly that he himself is badly injured. And what happens? He is taken in by strangers one of whom in the film turns out to be Juliette Binoche, is the kind of stranger I'd like to meet at my last stage. <laughs> but he is taken in by strangers and offered the care, ironically, that he didn't give to his loved one in her dying moments. Those strangers are with him in a way that he was never with the person he most loved in the world. My fear is that we're turning into a Laszlo society. But the most important moments in our lives are the moments when we are with one another in the face of our greatest tragedy. The Bible is all about the fact that God is with us in Babylon, in Egypt, on the cross, in the book of Revelation, in the, in, in the most painful moment. That is the transformative witness of the scripture that God, we, we want to turn God into a fix it working for God. That's not how God wants to relate to us. God wants to be with us now and forever. The story of Laszlo and Catherine offers us our greatest challenge as human beings. Are we going to be like Laszlo and not be able to face it and walk to Cairo? Are we going to stay with Catherine right to the end? just like Jesus does.
with us? That's the question. It's up to us to answer it. Thank you.